Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Wednesday afternoon slash evening. It's, I guess, early after early evening here in San Francisco. Tim Bontemps is uh, down the street from me. Hello, Tim. Hello, Brian. I had enough of him staying in my hotel the last <laughs> round. We we're in the same hotels. I said enough. Um, and joining us from home, aren't you happy to be home in Dallas, Ben McMahon? I was all ready to welcome you guys to my to my humble uh, Adobe here. Is it Adobe? Adobe? I don't know how to pronounce that word. Uh, you, you watched <laughs> Adobe and. Abode. It's called a boat. A boat. <laughs> well, an Adobe can be. We're off to a roaring start. Oh my but God. the Mavericks didn't do their parts. I'll just keep it simple and say howdy, partners. Oh, my buddy Chris DeMarco from the Warriors uh, was very happy to point out three games into the series after I'd said the Mavs could win in six. He sent me a text and said, uh, "Can the can the can the Mavericks win four games in the next three? And I said, "It took well, you three well, weeks to think about that one, didn't it?" Well, said, won't yes, be it six. <laughs> No, it will not. No, it will uh, not. I'll tell you what, if it had gone nine, I like the Mavs chances. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Bontemps and I are out here covering the finals. And so we are doing, um, we're going to have this grouping uh, going into to every finals game. How many finals games will it be? We don't know. But uh, so we'll be back with you for Sunday's game two. Um, but before we get ahead of ourselves, um, we're going to talk about game one, which will be today. This podcast is coming out on Thursday, the day of game one. Well, Brian, we made predictions, at least Tim and I. I don't know if you bothered to. So we probably should start with that, shouldn't we? If we're going to talk about how many games. You it know might be. that I didn't make a prediction. You know I that I don't make predictions. Oh, we're setting you up for that. Mm. Um, yeah, you put your prediction in with like with, with within 30 seconds of the end of game seven. We were in Miami. You that's correct. I, I, I thought before game six of the Celtics heat series that if the Celtics won that series, I was going to pick Celtics in six, which I did. And for all the people in Boston who were very mad that I didn't vote for Jason Tatum to win fi- uh, MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals, I voted. I said Jason Tatum won MVP of the finals. So quick, that was my McMahon, pick. Man, I, uh, I agree. I didn't have a vote for uh, Eastern Conference uh, Finals MVP. I know you had a vote, McMahon, for... Uh, Western Conference Finals MVP, the Magic Johnson Trophy, which ended up in Steph's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, was that unanimous vote for Steph? It, it was unanimous. And uh, as the rep from the NBA office uh, inquired about my vote, I said, Steph Curry, and tell anybody who votes differently that they're an absolute you, idiot. You said that on the last <laughs> podcast. You're losing oh. your brain. I thought you were. Uh, first of all, I've never had it. I don't even know how to say Adobe. <laughs> <laughs> which is not the right word again. <laughs> Adobe oh, is means house in Spanish, but abode is I don't know what language it is, but it means your house. Yeah, that's um, what I was going for, Espanol. Uh, before we get your, before sure. we get your prediction, um, McMahon, uh, what did you think of Bontemps being the no, lone it's, person? It's to total Bontemps bullcrap. I mean, it's Bontemps. When you're not very smart, you have to like go out of your way to pretend to be intellectual. Um, and so this is Bon Temps just, oh, look at me. I'm going against the grain. I'm so much smarter than everybody. I'm going to pick a guy who stunk for a few games in that series, by the way, and was on the losing side. Simple prerequisite to be a series MVP, your team has to win the series. I don't know about that. I mean, obviously that's going to be the overwhelming. It's going to be that way. 99 something percent of the time. 
But it, it shouldn't have to be that way. No, Jimmy Butler was the NVEP, not valuable enough player. His team didn't win the series. You're eliminated I mean, from consideration. Well, well, hold on a second. In all, in all seriousness, why do you have to win the series? Why? No, I mean, I mean really, why? Because if you don't win the series, you're t- you're, you weren't valuable enough. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that, McMahon. I mean, okay, well, you guys probably have Chuck Halley jerseys then. (laughs) I don't get that reference. I'm sorry if that makes me like a fool. I don't know. He was an old Cowboys linebacker that was on a uh, losing Super Bowl team and still got Super Bowl MVP. Well, so so it's happened. Jerry West had it happen in the NBA. It happened one time in 75 years. Yeah, it hasn't happened since the invention of the freaking internet in either sport. And it has, I what mean, does that have to do with it? Well, when it happened, happened when it happened, those guys used to the they'd, they'd have coolers of beer on press row. A bunch of drunken doofuses made those votes. That's how that happened. <laughs> then I, can I can I give my rationale? And, and I'm, I'm kind of wagering that a drunken doofus made this vote. <laughs> well, look, did you I, see where Bontemps went at halftime? I'll give you my rationale if you're done lecturing me. Uh, look, I thought actually. Part of the reason I ultimately I was going back and forth all game. I was asking a bunch of people. I was texting Brian. I was asking our buddy Nick Friedel, who was sitting next to me. Um, I was asking a lot of people because I was going back and forth between Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler. And Nick, I thought, actually summed up the reason why I ended up voting for Jimmy, which I was honestly surprised. I thought he'd get at least another vote or two. Like, I did not think I'd be the one who voted for him. And Nick said, when you come back a few years from now and think about this series, the only thing you're going to think about is Jimmy Butler which I think he's right. That game six Jimmy had was one of the best, single best games I've ever seen anybody play. He's the only reason that series was competitive. And the two guys on the Celtics were really good, but they both had rough moments throughout the series. I didn't think either one of them. Oh, and Jimmy didn't? Well, I didn't say Jimmy played. He didn't score 40 points in every single game. He only scored 40 points in two and had one of the best games I've ever seen in game six to get it to game seven. And then at 35 in game seven, nearly dragged his team over the line at the end. So can I give you a simple bit of life advice? Sure. Never, ever, ever let Nick Fidel have any influence <laughs> on your decision. Okay. Well, I thought he had a very good point there. And I, I thought about it all game. And I, I just thought Jimmy was the most important player in that series by a significant amount. The Heat were completely overmatched anytime Jimmy wasn't involved. in this It was, series. it was a incredible feat that the Heat got that series to game seven. And an outrageous feat that they got that game to a single possession in the final 30 seconds. And here's the other thing about my vote, too. Jimmy Butler you, takes that Jimmy shot with seven. You, did he no. give you like a, a few cases of Nick? By the way, Jimmy just like Jimmy didn't like it. Jimmy was not didn't even want to talk about it. it you know, if you'd asked if if Bontemps had asked Jimmy, Jimmy would have been like, no, don't vote for me. Yeah, because he so has seven. Four brain cells, which is Bon Tim's plus Fidel combined, come up short. With 17 seconds to go, Jimmy Butler goes, pulls up for a three pointer to put Miami up by one, right? If that shot goes in, Miami wins the game. Every single person votes for Jimmy without hesitation. Yeah, because they won the series. Because Jimmy Butler missed. Small detail. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, he was by far the best player in the series. So because he misses one shot, I'm now. He's now completely eliminated from consideration. And I, I just will, don't think that's how it should be. I, I will say this. Like that's a lot math. of people, when they saw Bontem's vote, they were like, well, did you not watch games three through five? And I mean, like, if you want to disagree with the vote, McMahon, that's fine. I, I don't, I mean, I, I agree with Tim Bontem's that he, 
Mm-hmm. You don't have to win. I think obviously most of the time, almost all the time, it's going to be the case, but that shouldn't have to be a prerequisite. But the reason that he was the MVP was because of games three through five. And he didn't play poorly because he was choking. He played poorly because he had an injury and it was the overcoming of the injury to score those baskets, to score those, uh, those points to carry them in game six and seven. That was the reason why his candidacy was stronger. The fact that he was, you know, injured in game three and limping through games four and five are the reason he was the MVP, not the well, reason he should not be considered. But what I about, didn't what understand about when, that rationale. What about when Tatum went back to the locker room and had like a 30-second shoulder surgery? <laughs> well, what about when Tatum had a miserable game? What was it? Game four? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, part of the the, the arc of a series is a guy doesn't play well and then recovers from it. So I don't know. Look, I'm not like saying I, I'm pounding the table here saying that you know, Bon Temps is right. I just felt it was a reasonable choice. Um, so I thought I all know. three guys are reasonable choices. I'm honestly surprised that nobody else voted for Jimmy. I thought he'd get a couple of votes. I thought Jalen would get a couple of votes. I didn't think it would be eight to one. I was surprised. Oh, anyway. Um, okay, now on so, to the NBA finals. <laughs> right. Um, McMahon, your prediction was, is? Uh, I went Warriors in seven. I do think it's going to be a great series. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by how well the Celtics can defend uh, the Warriors shooters. That, that, you know, that to me, I, th- I think they will defend them well enough to make it a long, tough series. Um, I don't think I – th- I, th- I think Boston would have to make it an ugly series to win, and I don't think they can do that four times. Hmm. And, Bontemps, what was your rationale for uh... – Well, I think to McMahon's point, I think that the Celtics getting out of playing Milwaukee and Miami, I think it, they're going to feel a real breath of fresh air playing a team that's not as physical and kind of pounding as those two teams are. I think it's going to be a, a different a different thing for them. And obviously, the Warriors are far more explosive offensively than this Miami team that was Jimmy and a bunch of guys who were limping around. But to me, the reason I ultimately went with Boston was watching this team play all season they're, they're just really big and physical at every position. And I think they play with a physicality, sort of like a boxer that just hits body punches all game. When you get to the 10th, 11th, 12th round of the fight, you see guys start to kind of fold as it goes along. They just run out of gas. And you've seen in these series, as they've gotten deeper against both against Brooklyn and Milwaukee and Miami, it's sort of been the same thing. As the series has gone along, teams have just sort of faded as they felt that weight of that physicality over and over and over again. And I think to McMahon's point, ultimately I I'm picking Boston. Cause I think they're, they're probably the single best team in the league in terms of being equipped to guard the warriors. Cause when they have these, when the warriors are running all their sets on the perimeter with pool and clay and Steph and Andrew Wiggins, the Celtics have guys who can guard every single one of those guys. And then they've got either Robert Williams or Al Horford. Who's going to stand 20 feet away from Draymond green and say, all right, Draymond, what are you going to do? You can't do that. You cannot, you are, that well, is an invitation into dribble handoff wide open threes for the best shooters in the world. Well, my point you can't just sack off Draymond. Well, that's what, that's what the Grizzlies did to success before Draymond got ejected from the beginning, the, one of the first games in that series. And it's when Dallas had, um, you know, Dallas had success also when Draymond got taken out of the game with foul trouble, or I should say Golden State had success against Dallas when he got taken out of the game with foul trouble. And Draymond, they have the ability to take advantage of Draymond's issues on offense. 
I think, that very in ways other few other teams do because they can stick to those shooters. They don't have to scramble because they have guys who can stay with them across the board. So I think the physicality and the defense the Celtics have, I think will be enough to get them over the line. But I'm with you. I'm super excited for the series. I think it's going to be really long. It's going to be really close. I think it could go either way. But that was why I went with Boston in the end. Well, and we haven't seen close games very often in, in these last couple of rounds. But in close games, the Warriors have a massive advantage because the Celtics, for whatever reason, have just been a bad clutch team. They like have. Tatum's- I'll tell you what. Jalen Brown, his free throws – like, I'm not saying it's on the first page of notes about this finals, but I will just comment as we are on the eve of game one. Jalen Brown's free throws are very concerning. Jalen Brown's turnovers with the ball mm-hmm. and his free throws are both very concerning. However, he like literally has made dozens and dozens and dozens of great plays in this playoff run. But um, he totally botched two free throws at the end of game six that almost cost the Celtics their, their title run. Um, so, but you're right, McMahon, their clutch numbers haven't been good and they, they win game seven, but I would say survived. It was a yes. better way to mm-hmm. say it because, um, you know, they gave up an 11 Oh run, just yep. not acceptable. And also at the end of game six, um, the game is tied 99, 99. And yeah. And the one possession Jalen Brown gets fouled and misses two free throws, but they went five consecutive possessions. Well, not only did they not score, they didn't get a good shot. Right. So I, I think you're right. I think if the game is close, it could favor the Warriors, the games that are close. Um, and, but I and, just, and the turnover thing, the turnovers, I, I think this, and on Tim's, I think it was last series that, that you said this, tell you the Celtics turnover total and, you tell, and you'll say who wins the game. Mm-hmm. I think that's even more so the case against the Warriors because turnovers against the Warriors are death. Because what you're going to end up having a lot of times is Draymond pushing it, and he's surrounded by, you know, Steph, Clay, maybe Jordan Poole in the game, just guys who, you know, you're talking about giving these guys clean, open transition threes or layups. And that's not, you know, the, the Celtics in the half court situation, when they can set their defense, they've got a, a chance to make things tough on the Warriors. Transition, you're, you're dead. No, I agree completely. And to your point about the clutch, He's obviously talked about how incredible a turnaround the Celtics have had, right? Going from 23 and 24 to being 28 and seven down the stretch, having a plus 15 net rating, twice as good almost as Memphis in second, best team in the league, second half of the season by a mile. But you go back to the beginning of the season, the Celtics blew one fourth quarter lead after another, Mm -hmm. and they were horrible in the clutch. And the thing about that 28 and seven to end the season, they basically played no close games. And the close games they did play, like against Dallas in March Mm -hmm. in Boston, they lost those games. And you saw, as we all saw, game six and seven were pretty much, you know, they had to escape from game seven. And like you said, Brian, Jalen misses those two free throws. The Heat score a bunch of points in the row. The Celtics are having shot clock violations, turnovers, and everything went to hell. So I think, to your point, McMahon, that's going to be a critical thing in this series. Can the Celtics hold up in games that are close? Because they have not shown to this point the ability to do that. Yeah. And so the thing about the, the, the Warriors, I mean, um, the, the Heat were of the remaining playoff teams. The Heat were the weakest half court offensive team. Mm-hmm. The Warriors are the best. The Warriors are one of the best half court teams of all time, if not the best, whatever. Um, and so the challenge will be different for Boston this round. Um, 
I think both teams will be a little bit surprised at the strengths of the other in terms of when they actually get into face it. I'm not, they obviously know each other well and have well scouted, et cetera. But the difficulty of staying with all of the Golden State movement, mm-hmm. even with a team that is equipped to handle that, it will be a shock to the system. And it will be a shock to the system, uh, as Bontemps referenced, just how long the Celtics are to the Warriors. Um, the, the passing lanes and the and the and the, sh- and the shooting alleys will both be swallowed up, and um, we'll see about Robert Williams. He's a big factor, yeah. but um, there just aren't many players in the NBA who play like Robert Williams. And 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 I think he's a huge key. And, and you're talking about the Celtics' length, especially when they're playing with Williams and Horford, and then you know obviously those, those huge wings, Kevon Looney kicked the Mavericks ass and and he was a huge part of uh of putting the Grizzlies away as well Looney was was really he was a dominant force I mean he sent the Mavericks into uh I mean I'm not saying that I would have voted for Looney for uh MVP but if there was a ballot of three people he'd have been on my ballot yeah him and Wiggins would have been the other would, would have been the other two uh probably Steph Looney Wiggins, you know, whatever. Luca and, and, could not be considered because his team lost, right? So there's no chance. Correct. If Luca averaged, um, you know, forty point triple double, he would no way he couldn't have it. Also, two of twelve in a game, but yeah, no, you're not getting considered when your team gets beaten five games. So I'm feeling you know. worse as I go about my vote. As Brian is vociferously defending it, this is this yeah, is not no. Good. Listen, anytime, anytime <laughs> why, why would Wendy's, you feel worse about it? Because anytime, worse anytime, about it? anytime Wendy's on your side in an MVP debate, <laughs> you are in jackass territory. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in 2015, LeBron got votes for Finals MVP. Yeah, and in 2015, a bunch of goobers gave it to Iguodala. And now people are talking about, well, Steph's legacy is on the line because people got that vote wrong. Yes, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Listen, not the leg- a- to be clear, not the legacies on the line part, the, 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 the Iguodala winning MVP part. The, the, the thing about award voting, it's not an IQ test. Don't try to prove how smart you are. Vote the obvious vote. Let's not make, you know, we're well, not doing we definitely if we're if we're talking about who if trying not to show how smart you are, we know you have a lot of practice with that. So it's OK. <laughs> I know. I know. It, I know you're good at it. Um, that's how he goes through life. To that's be right. With well, and I think your point to your point earlier, but man, it was funny. I saw Bob Myers earlier today and uh, we were talking about the series a little bit. He goes, you know, it's funny. I watch Boston and they remind me a lot of us. And I I laughed and said, that's what I've been saying for two rounds, because like you said about the Celtics throwing the way and it being death for giving the ball to a golden state. This Boston team is so big and fast. They mm-hmm. get and everybody on the court other than Robert Williams who plays can grab and go, including Al Horford. Yeah. So if they get a rebound or a loose ball, they can take off. And I think it's going to be the same thing with them. Cause to me, when you look at golden state in this series, now they got away with a little bit in the Dallas series because Dallas really only had Luca with the ball other than Jalen Brunson and Spencer right. Woody a little bit. And they missed a ton of open threes, but the Warriors, defense particularly on the perimeter is i think going to be a pretty important factor in this series because they don't have a lot of guys to match up with these boston players like well gary payton the second could play a key role well let me speak about gary payton second so it's not i don't know if they're specifically running a bit of a attempt to a smoke screen yeah and i don't know what he'll be listed as in the injury report that comes out in the morning when this podcast is right now he's listed as questionable in the interviews he's given the last two days, he has made it sound like he is not quite there. Right. Now, again, 
maybe if you walk, if you are practice today, he was power dunking on that elbow. Um, but he was specifically asked about his jump shot and he basically didn't give an answer. Yeah. And so, by the way, which would be natural if your elbow was messed up that you have to, uh, do you have to shoot with? So, yeah, I think having Gary Payton healthy and having that perimeter size and, and uh, his ability out, out there with his quickness against what the Celtics present, it's a huge fact factor. Um, you know, in uh, Otto Porter, he was being bothered by that bad foot at the end mm-hmm. of the Maverick series. He's questionable. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see Iguodala, but Iguodala right. has, has also been upgraded to questionable. But if you have Gary Payton, who's limited in his ability to take a jump shot, not that that's his game, but he does sit in the corner. Yeah. Um, and stretch the floor. If you feel um, like you don't have to guard him, it's problematic. Especially if you're already playing Draymond Green. Well, and they already yeah. were probably not going to guard him much, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, if he goes from being a guy that can maybe cut and be a little bit of a factor to one that's really a non-factor completely on offense, like against the Celtics defense, you can't, to me, have a lot of complete zeros out there on the offensive well, end of the court. primarily because right. if you give Robert Williams, who already likes to play free safety, Yes. If you make there no risk or very minimal risk in having him play free safety, you're playing into the Celtics' hands. So I would yeah. just say that I do think the Gary Payton is a major thing. We're all going to be watching that, that aspect going into game one. And so is Otto Porter. That's a big yeah. injury for them. Otto Porter's yeah. become a critical piece for these guys because, again, you look at their players on the perimeter. Andrew Wiggins has done a nice job defensively in these playoffs. After him, Clay at this point, I think, is still a question coming off this of these leg injuries he's had. Clay is a target at this point. And right. I, he he has a history of being a very good defense player, but understandably, he's not the guy he used to be defensively right. or offensively, although he's coming off a great closeout game. But you're so you're talking about Clay, who is not the same guy who used to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, man-to-man mm-hmm. defenders. Then you've got Clay and Poole, or no, Steph and Poole, I mean. Steph's okay, Poole is not. Like you're starting to talk about a lot of guys who are not going to ha- be able to guard, but 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 in aggregate, the- they they are good defense. And and you know who's they a are. very good perimeter defender, Kevon Looney. Like you, you, the Mavericks made the mistake in Game Two of uh, getting sucked into trying to hunt Looney, and yep. they scored 13 points in the third quarter while doing it. Well, and I think to your point, I think. Looney is Looney was amazing in that Maverick series. And, and we, we've seen for years, man, going back to when we covered Warriors Rockets, right? Kevon Looney's always been a guy who's been good in space in those switches, garden guys. Yeah. But I do think he's not going to have quite the same impact in this series because of the presence of either Al Horford or Robert Williams on the court, basically at all times. He's not going to be out there against some Lilliputian out there grabbing offensive rebounds all over the place yeah. and dominating the paint. So I think... That is one thing that I expect to go the other way in this series, where I do think the size inside of the Celtics will help negate some of the obviously massive impact he had in that first in that uh, Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and and, and Poole's a matador. I mean, Poole's a bad defender. He's a yes. hell of an offensive player, and he's fun to watch offensively. So quick and slippery, and yep. obviously can shoot it, but he's terrible defensively. And Ime Odoka has shown no uh, fear in going at somebody over and over and over again and saying after this is why we did it. Like, God bless this guy. Poor defender. He is. I mean, listen, he is the best in these interviews because he, whether he's talking about his own team or he's talking about the other team, he has realized that when people talk to us in the media, it's not stuff that everybody already knows on the other team what's going on anyway. So if you just say, yeah, this guy can't guard anybody. It's not like it's a surprise. Well, here's the thing. I appreciate the way he approaches it. He's not bombastic about it. He just says it matter of factly. 
And then he goes, yeah, I mean, there's nothing I'm telling you that I haven't already told our guys. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, or told uh, the other team. Right. By game. And by the way, Jordan Poole, he's, he's well aware. Who, who, who do you call out for being, oh, was it, uh, who do you call out for being a poor defender in, in Miami? Duncan Robinson, I believe. Duncan Robinson, that's right. Yeah. Um, he also well, said after Jimmy like Butler just stopped. Him. He also said after Jimmy Butler basically just stopped shooting threes. Like, yeah, you know, we started guarding Jimmy like a big because he wasn't shooting. I was like, well, yeah. it's true. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, before we go on, it is time to squeeze in a little trivia here. Uh, brought to you by CarMax on the lot or online. CarMax is where you can get taken for all your uh, new and used car needs. Okay, Bon Temps. That is correct. Now it's time for our Hoop Collective Trivia. That's Williams, our guy. Here, here's his question. Steve Kerr is making his 11th appearance in the NBA Finals as either a player or a coach. There are four people who have made more appearances as either a player, a player and or coach than Steve Kerr. Who Bill are Russell. You? That's one. Pat Riley. That's two. Player or coach, so not executive. Huh? Uh, Phil Jackson. That's three. The other one, I Bob don't Cousy? know if McMahon is that's the, the right team. Wrong per Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Casey Jones. That's the other one. Okay. Tell you what, man. God, that was easy. That was some good teamwork. That was that was as easy as targeting hey, listen, Jordan man. Poole. Stats <laughs> Stats wanted to give Steve Kerr some love. I asked if we were talking about Steve on the pot. I said, no, I don't think so. He said, that's a good question. So well, let's, that one. yeah. Well, let me say this. Um today and we had the interviews, the meet the, the little media day, which um was very different from, you know, we haven't had media day at the finals in three years. It's been since, um, since 2019, Oakland, 2019. So this was a little bit different. Um, the players, you know, I, the Celtics, um, I don't want to, you know, they, they were looking around a little bit. Uh, even Jason Tatum said, uh, you know, it was kind of, kind of got, got the feels when I came into the building and saw the finals logo. And uh, when he came into the press conference, he was looking at the uh, the backdrop with the finals logo on it. And it. You know, it sounds not something that you would think about as a big time player. But um, I know the first time I ever covered an NCAA tournament game back when they would put the, the you know, the, the they would have the banners on the tables and the team names. 
I remember seeing that banner and thinking, wow, this is the NCAA tournament when I was first at, at one. <laughs> and, you know, you've seen that finals logo with the curse of F your whole life. And when you're sitting in front of the backdrop, I thought the Celtics were like, wow, this is, we're really here. But um, the Warriors had their press conferences today and I sat in there for an hour and this is the, I believe the, um, my 11th finals I'm covering just like, uh, just like Steve Kerr. Um, and just like him. Yeah. We're in the same, same list. Um, I don't think I've ever enjoyed a press conference more than I did with the warriors coming through today. Um, Steve Kerr, Draymond, uh, Curry, Clay. Um, the perspective that they had, the way that they talked about getting here, the way that they talked about their journey, um, it was just a completely different experience than, than the other five that I've covered here in uh, Oakland slash San Francisco now. Um, and that's obvious. I mean, obviously what they've been through, I mean, they don't need to rehash that. But seeing these guys as, you know, 30-year-olds, um, seeing these guys as, you know, you know, feeling just a lot differently about where they are in their careers. You know, the last time they were in the finals, 2019, I felt that the entire organization was exhausted, not just physically, but yeah. mentally. Um, they were at especially, the end season was a saga. Well, and especially yeah. with the injuries. I mean, it was a, it was a drama all year with Durant, but then Even you get before to before the injuries, but then yeah. you get to the Durant injury in game five and the clay injury. And, no, I, I know, but I'm just saying by the end of, by after those injuries on top of everything else, by the end of it, you, it was just like, everybody was just completely wiped out. They were so mentally, they were so mentally run down from the, from the five year experience of competing in, in the championships. And, um, yeah, it's just, playing 500 something games over five years, but, but even more than physically McMahon, just like, I remember, um, I talked about how I'd seen this before, um, with, uh, LeBron's heat team and then LeBron's mm -hmm. Cavs team. And I dubbed it organizational fatigue. Yeah. And, um, speaking of Bob Myers is, um, Bon Temps did earlier before game five, uh, Bob Myers came up to me and, um, said, I read your story about uh, you talking about organizational fatigue, and I totally understand what you're saying. And that was before Durant and Clay had gotten hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple hours before Durant, maybe two hours before Durant actually hurt his Achilles. And so I would just say that, um, uh, you know, Draymond was talking, for example, about how much different the experience is with him being 33 years old and nurturing a 19-year-old guy like Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah. And how... Kaminga like was laughing at him early in the early, early in the season. Uh, Draymond noticed that Kaminga would always laugh at him. Like every time he was around, he would laugh at him. And um, for a while, Draymond kind of thought that he just thought he was funny or something, but then he realized he's laughing at me. <laughs> he's laughing at me because I'm an old guy and I do old guy things. Just like I might laugh at a guy in his fifties who does certain things. And, he goes, I had to understand that my relationship with him was not going to be as brothers as I saw many of my teammates, but as sort of father, son. Yeah. And um, uncle nephew, but right, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. He said, he said, father, son and clay, just clay sitting there with that, you know, that clay smile on his face, that sort of unassuming smile, which I've seen throughout this season, quite frankly. Um, you know, like I've been at, you know, I, I've been at press conferences during the finals where Clay was trash talking LeBron, you know, 
uh, or he called him a baby or whatever he called him. I don't, mm-hmm. that's not exactly what he said, but you know, um, and to well, see Clay just surveying the situation and just, you know, embracing it. And, and you know, and, and even, you know, Kerr, Kerr has been, as you, we just talked about, he's been to so many of these, but you know, he, he feels differently about this one. So I don't know what, it, I don't know. I'm not saying that means anything that that means that they're going to win or they're going to means they're going to lose or whatever. I just really sensed a completely different experience with the warriors today than, um, than I had in the past. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I mean, I got a chance to catch up with some warriors people I hadn't been, I hadn't seen really all year. Cause I'm obviously most of the time back East and there was just a universal sense of gratitude. I think is the right way to put it about being back here again. Like, you know, Bob and talking to Bob, he was like, you know, look, I I'm really trying to just enjoy this run because the last two years have been really hard and they've been through a lot of stuff. They obviously were horrible two years ago. Steph got hurt. Clay was out They won whatever it was, 15 games last year. They think they're making the playoffs. They lose a heartbreaker to the war to the Lakers and then to the Grizzlies at home. Don't make the play, even make the playoffs last year. And to come back from all that and make it through the playoffs and get to the finals, you know, even this year, you had Clay come back midseason. You have Draymond out with the crazy nerve thing. We weren't sure for a while what was going to happen. The major, major thing that happened during the season was whether Draymond was going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, all, all you that have stuff. Steph get hurt late. Right? Yeah. Yeah, all that Weisman scenario in a in a bit of long. a controversial play against the Celtics, by the way, which didn't right, get discussed right. today. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's going to be any bad blood about that, but I do think it's relevant that that's when it happened. Yeah. And now no, here I comes mean, Marcus Smart on a on a bad ankle. Yeah. No, I mean it's it was just it was neat to be around those guys. You know, people like Ron Adams and and Bob and and you know, like you said, the, all the guys who've been through this whole run for nine years now or eight years now, going back to 2014. And it was cool to see them all kind of stop and think about it and be like, yeah, you know, it is pretty cool that we're back here. And I thought it was cool the way they handled things last week when they won the title or won the Western Conference title. And they talked about how it was something worth celebrating. You know, you see teams that have been here this many times, usually kind of, ah, you know, whatever. We're not focused on that. But, you know, I thought it was cool that Steph said, this is a moment for us to celebrate. And it's a moment for us to be happy that Clay's here and that we're back here again. And I think from the Boston side, there was looking around like Jason, you know, Jason Tatum's usually a very level-headed kid and he came in and was literally kind of smiling at the backdrop. Can I say the backdrop and- this year? I know that talking about the backdrop is very bizarre and I don't think I'd ever talked about a backdrop before. The backdrop is beautiful. It's a beautiful <laughs> shade of blue. Back, maybe. It's a beautiful shade cool. of blue and a beautiful, the, the logo has changed a little bit. It was a, it was a beautiful backdrop. It is cool. But I, I do think, though, and I think this comes really from Ime, who has been really locked in on this all season, frankly, go back to when things were bad at the start of the year. I don't think the Celtics are going to be awed by the moment in game one. I don't think they're going to come out and be, oh, man, we're in the finals. This is so cool. We're so happy to be here and get smacked in the face. I really don't. I think they're even after game seven the other night, you know, they're, they're kind of on the other end of it, right? Where they've spent all these years smashing their head into the wall, losing in the conference finals, losing to LeBron, losing to the Heat two years ago, having disappointing, you know, getting blown out of the playoffs last year by Brooklyn, getting blown out of the playoffs by the Bucs a couple of years ago. They, they've had so many disappointments and times where they thought maybe we're breaking through and we didn't. For them to get in here, this isn't the end for them. 
Like they, they're to me really focused on other four wins. And so while they haven't had anybody who's played in the finals game, they have a lot of guys who've had a ton of playoff disappointments. And even though they're a young team, they're a pretty mature young team. And I think, you know, a lot of credit for that to me also goes to Ime, who has been really rock steady for them all the way through about, you know, our job is to win the next game. We're not getting caught up in this game. Um, you know, they bounced right back from the Bucks series and played a great first half against Miami before falling apart in the third quarter. Like, I think with these three days off, I'll be very surprised if they don't come out and play really well in game one. It's not as long as the time off is. The Warriors got, obviously, the Warriors got a full week. But these three days were much appreciated. Um, 12 games in 23 days for the Celtics. From game three of the Western of the Eastern Conference semifinals through game seven against the Heat, they played every other day for three-plus weeks. Trust three me. days off is huge. Trust me, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. I, 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 was, I would like, I'd, I'd like the NBA to figure out a way to get at least a rest day or two uh, in, in the conference finals. I, I do think it affected the quality of play. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, here's what I'll say about the NBA. I'll get in trouble for this. Oh, boy. Uh, should I stop? No. <sighs> Definitely not. It is a misnomer. Bon Temps has heard me on the soapbox before, so I'm sorry. Brian on a soapbox? Really? It is, it is a misnomer. I, some of my very good friends, who people whose work I really respect in the NBA over the last decade have written all about how the NBA should do this, this, and this, and reduce the amount of games and add this rest and all of these well-thought-out plans to get, um, to get more rest and higher quality of play. But that is a flawed premise because it, it, is, it operates on the belief that the NBA's number one priority is quality of play. The NBA's number one priority is quantity, quantity of games. Um, and secondary is quality. After you have the quantity of games, then they would like quality. They, and they do do a lot of things to try to get quality, but not at the sacrificing of quantity. They would rather have seven bad games than four or five amazing games. That's right. They would rather have seven blowouts than four games end at the buzzer. They would love four games end at the buzzer and then three blowouts or whatever, but that's the truth. And I always say this, why does the NBA play best of seven? Because they can't play best of nine. Because they can't get away with playing best of nine. (laughs) So um, you're right, McMahon. It would probably improve the quality of play for there to be some extra days off in the, uh, in the conference finals, but the conference finals must get over at a certain time to let the finals get in. The the thing that I would like, since we're going down this road, what I would like is to make the first round shorter, not like best of five, but as we all know, these first rounds are like totally spaced out game wise. Have the first round be every other day. It's a, uh, I, I know, I but you. I'd rather I'd rather have the first round be every other day, especially here, since most of these games are, are shorter. Here we are. You making an argument that's about quality and you're not realizing that it's about quantity. Well, I know it's about, it's about television, I, television dates that they can fill. I know okay, it's speaking about, of, I know uh, it's about quantity. I'm just saying I would rather have the quality. More. Hey, this is a good time to promote that. We're going to be podcasting before every game of these finals quantity over quality, baby. Here we <laughs> go. St- Brian did say that at the beginning of the pod, but yes, also, now we can remember that. Also, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you remembered. I know we talked before about your lack of knowledge of things. So now we got it back in your head. You can think about it. Also, while you brought that up, McMahon, we also will be podcasting on the hoop collective after the games. Well, not we, 
You. That's a royal we. We were booted out of there. <laughs> well, get Bontemps Bontemps has, McMahon, get out. Get that's out. right. Th- frankly, that's right. Bontemps has to work <laughs> after the game, and uh, he has other assignments. And What and, about and, McMahon? And, McMahon will have uh, Miller Light. I probably just insulted his beer choice. <laughs> you do. Please. There will be no Miller Light. Come on. Spoken like a guy who doesn't drink. Yeah, not unless I get an endorsement deal. And he, do not, do then, not alienate like... potential sponsors. <laughs> Swagoo and Perk, an ESPN podcast led by its namesake hosts, Marcus Spears, that's Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Spears and Perkins will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives, career journey, and can't miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcast and also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hit strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on direct TV. That means direct TV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes. Stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Before we go, uh, McMahon, you had a uh, an interesting story that came out with Adrian Wojnarowski that published uh, Tuesday night. Um, we've talked about the jazz on and off for the last uh, few months on this podcast. Would you summarize what that story said, please? Yeah, and so the, kind of the, the Quinn Snyder question, will he come back or not, has obviously been out there. Well, um, let me just say real quick, before, I don't mean to interrupt you, but at the end of the season, Justin Zanuck, the team general manager, said he's going to be back. No, he didn't. He said he's the best partner that, yeah, that, that uh, he could ask for, basically. And essentially what Zanuck yeah. said is, is they want him back. That has not changed. But, you know, this thing, it's dragged on for a month now. And it's not a, it's not about money because. Well, you say it's dragged on. I mean, the, he's under contract and the jazz are not going to fire him. Right. So it doesn't mean he's coming back. Okay. So So, Quinn Snyder. I mean, I'm just saying for a lot of fans, including maybe some jazz fans, they think what, what's dragged on the end of the season came Quinn said nice words. The general manager said nice words. What's the issue? What's dragging on? Right. And so, and it, you know, Justin Zanuck's the one who's talking to the media, but the people in the room of the conversations are Ryan Smith, the majority owner, Danny Ainge, his CEO, and basically his, his right hand picked right hand man, you know, Quinn Snyder, and obviously Quinn's agent, uh, Warren Legary. Those are the people in these discussions. And it's, it's not about money. There's a, an extension offer. He turned down an extension last summer. There's a, extension offer that's still on the table. I don't have exact terms of it, but it is, you know, it would put him up there with the highest paid coaches in the NBA. It's, you know, it's, it's 
an offer that is reflective of his the quality of his work. Um, and the, the Jazz basically said, hey, you can take this extension or, you know, if you want to go year by year, you want to come back on your contract, which is a two-year deal. The second year is, is a coach's option. You, well, that's you what he's got that. left on his contract. I don't right. want to, yeah. Right. I'm saying, they're saying you can take this extension. You can come back on your existing contract and go year by year. Um, or you can, you know, if, if you decide to leave, they'll wish him well and, you know, figure it out. I, I, I at this point, my informed speculation is that Quinn Snyder's likely going to end up leaving. Now, if that happens, the Jazz would be appreciative of that decision coming sooner than later. You know, they 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 would they don't want that to be a, you know a, a late summer decision, and then they got to scramble to hire a head coach. Put well, a let staff me ask, together. Let me ask you this, okay? I, you know, you cover the Jazz closely. You know the people here. Your name was on the story. Um, would the Jazz allow? I mean, obviously, if the guy says I don't want to coach, you're not. You can't say you're going to report for duty on on uh, September 25th or whatever. You, mm-hmm. he's not going to coach. Would the Jazz allow him out of his contract, or would the Jazz say, "All right, Quinn, uh, sorry about that. Uh, we love you. Wish you well. Uh, we'll continue paying you, and we have you. We control you. You can't coach anywhere." Uh, I think that Quinn would take a year off. That, that's not so what I asked. I, you know, I, asked. I, I, I would be, I would be guessing on that, and I think, okay. you know, we'll, we'll, I'm just if, saying, if it comes that, you know, to it, they'll have to figure that out. If, but, if a coach with the quality of Quinn, like, let's just, um, let's just take a little bit out of this lane. Let's just say there was a, a coach who was who had the exact same resume as Quinn Snyder. If that coach would become available, I think that there would be teams mm-hmm. who would potentially let their coach go. Yeah. And attempt to hire a coach who's like Quinn Snyder. Yeah. And the Charlotte um, job is still open. I don't think that we would I see don't think, be there. No, no. I I think there would be if a coach like Quinn Snyder became available, I think there would be some teams that would consider, boy, can we go get Quinn Snyder? And maybe a job would come open. that's not even open. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a possibility so, again. So that's I think, why, that's why this is all, that's why that's a relevant question as to I, whether or not he wants but, to, to not coach or he doesn't, or he, or he may not want to coach the Jets. Well, here's the, two different things. Go ahead, Bon Timps. I was going to say to me that when you start getting down that road, I think you come to a, a totally different question that hasn't come up yet, which is in today's NBA, are teams paying a first round pick to get a coach? I think the answer to that question is no. We saw in the past a few teams did that. Clippers did it with Doc Rivers a couple other times. It's happened. I don't think that's happening anymore. And that's no no disrespect to Quinn Snyder, who I agree with you guys. I think he's a very good coach. But if he doesn't coach in the Jazz this year, he's not coaching anybody. And he's going to sit at home and wait until co- and next year when his contract's up, then he'll have a a fleet of offers and he'll well, be able to pick his job. If the jazz say good luck to you. I mean, I, I remember Daryl Morey coming on, giving a press conference. I take time off. I'm going to be, I'm going to uh, go be with my family. And, I, uh, and the I Rockets think... said, okay, uh, here's your buyout. Good luck to you. Oh, my phone just rang. Uh, I enjoyed my time with my family. I'm um, so don't, I mean, it happens. He enjoyed that gap week. I'll say this. The Rockets weren't surprised by that. Yeah. I um, think that's, I think that's a little different situation than what yeah. this would be. 
Yeah, and that that was a situation where Daryl was able to get paid by the Rockets because of a clause put in his contract by the previous owner, Leslie Alexander, when we sold to Fertitta. Where he had um, the so ability he to able, leave. He yes. had the ability to not just leave, but to double dip. Yes. Um, I, I, the sense that I get is Quinn would take a year off and, and not frankly – might really benefit from a year off. I mean, this is, yeah, we all know he, he did like, just have, he also did just have hip surgery. He had, he had hip surgery. Um, my understanding is he's recovering pretty well. It's, it's not, they didn't go in the back and like cut through the glute. They, they <laughs> went through the, seriously. And well, you it, have a lot of, like, you have a lot of information on this. Hip that's, surgery. That's like a big difference, but it's still, it's hip replacement surgery. It's, it's not nothing. I mean, it's a very yeah. significant surgery and just think about, uh, we all know Quinn doesn't sleep. Like when he during the season, like how many times did you turn on a jazz game? Like, dang man, can can Quinn like squeeze a nap in? Like, my goodness, he looks like he's been up for forty eight hours. Yeah, um, I think he's I think he's worn out. And it's been think about the last few years for the Jazz being you know ground zero for COVID in the NBA and everything that came out of that, all the drama with the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert relationship, having to manage all that. Going from uh, yeah, the, that the, devastating loss to the Jets, how about, to the, how to about Denver a change in, in ownership bubble. midway right. through? Change in ownership, and and you know went from a very hands off ownership situation to Ryan Smith is is very much involved. And I'm not saying you know one is better than the other, but certainly it's very different. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very different environment. New boss, uh, yeah. New. Change in the lead basketball executive, and you know Quinn and Dennis Lindsay didn't always see eye to eye. That's been well documented, but still, it's a it's a major change. Um, you know, as Bob Timps was saying, you, you recover from the whole COVID mess, smooth things over, best record in the league, and such a devastating loss in the second round. This year was nothing but kind of just uh, black clouds. And well, and I was even talking about drama. in the bubble. They're up. They're up. They weren't they up three no, one on Denver, and then lose. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Conley has a shot run out. Like they've just had an insane amount of stuff happen the past yeah. few years, and, and, and then all up. And then, frankly, you're, you're looking at it saying, okay, I've, I've been here eight years, you know, took over a team that had 25 wins the previous season, built this thing into a perennial playoff team. I mean, they've got the West's longest active streak, haven't been able to get over the hump. And, and honestly, do you guys see a clear path for the Jazz to get over the hump at this point? No. Given no, the, I mean- the aging of some of their, you know, complimentary key core players uh, and and – just everything I mean, look, else we, that we've talked we about. Talk, yeah, we talked about it earlier this year, right? That team never recovered from that Clippers loss. And like there's they're not coming back from that. Like we've all agreed on that. It's like it's they they're they might go another year with these guys and have them go to the all-star game and like, you know, that's what they'll try it again. But to your point, they host you the all-star game just yes, they the game is in Salt Lake City next year. But like you don't it's it's you can't look at this jazz team now, even with Quinn Snyder as a great coach and a couple all-star players and what they've got. What they've got isn't working, and it's yeah. it's going to. There's so it's not it's not now. working well enough, and they well, are right. deep to in get, the luxury tax, and it's hard to get better at this. That's point. right. To get where they, uh, to be clear, they've had a great run, but it, to get where they want to go, right. it's not working. And when you look around with the Clippers coming back healthy next year, with uh, the Warriors who are going to be good again, Dallas is going to be good again. Like there's a lot. There's a you know Phoenix is going to be good. Like there's a lot of really good teams in the West that these guys have to compete with and you've got all this stuff going on. And, you know, I mean, 
you talked about organizational fatigue earlier, Brian. This is not mm-hmm. making it to the finals five years in a row. This Utah Jazz team is clearly a team that's yep. suffering from organizational that's, fatigue. That's for up sure. and down the road. And that, and like, yes, I think to your point, Tim, I think it probably would be good for Quinn Snyder to just get some time off and sit for a year. Cause again, he'll have a list of teams trying to hire him. Well, yeah, but take I don't a year off, get healthy, you know, yep. focus on his health, focus on his family, has four young kids at home and you know, yep. four young kids and a wife and recharge his batteries, go into uh, the, the next hiring cycle for head coaches as, as probably the number one yep. candidate out there. That that's what I think will happen. But again, that's what I think what I know is Quinn Snyder has yet to make a decision and that it is ultimately his decision to make. But, and, right, and I but, think the choice you, is either. But your story with Woj had the line that may not have it exactly hundred percent right. So please correct me. It had the line that the jazz are comfortable with Quinn coming back on just a mm-hmm. one-year contract. Right. They, they is, want Quinn Snyder to be the coach next season. So is, so my only question I don't have reporting on this. I'm asking you. Is that a organizational position or is that a bargaining position? It's a good question. It's a good question. I, it, it was made very clear to Woj and me that the options for Quinn are sign an extension, a very lucrative extension, come back, go to year to year on your current contract, you know, one year that's guaranteed, one year the next season, Quinn's option, or decide that, hey, it's, it's time to part ways and ride off into the sunset or limp off into the sunset, having just undergone hip replacement surgery. Um, now, you know, like I said, I think how much the of only that way- is blowing smoke and how much of that is truth. I, you know, I, the only I, way there's a fourth, shooting, the only way there's a fourth option there is again. If some team is willing to come in and offer the Jazz a first-round pick to take their coach. And I just don't think we're in a world where teams are doing that anymore, especially when they can hire the guy mm-hmm. in a year. Because yeah. I don't think – I don't. I just if don't see why – If he gets totally they, out of his contract, they don't have to give him the pick. Right, but, that, but they don't – but they, even if – don't have to do that, though. If Quinn uh, decides not to coach the team well, – he can just decide not to coach the team and yeah, say, I'll, I'll, I'll say I, this. I, I, I don't get the sense that Quinn Snyder's trying to take another job for next season. Okay. That's what I'm, that's what I'm. Yes. I, 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 that I, you know, I might end up being proven wrong. We'll see what happens. That would surprise me. Um, again, I'd be a little surprised if he's back in Utah next season, but not shocked. He hasn't made that decision. I, I, I get the sense that, He's going to end up ultimately taking a year off, spending time with family, relaxing, recharging. Um, I have been assured that that he will not go to Russia this time. <laughs> His next job will not be in Russia. Yeah, he left the NBA. Or, uh, did, he, did he leave the NBA, the W, the uh, the uh, G League, and go to Russia? Is that what happened, or did he leave I, I college think, basketball first? And no, I think that was after he was on Bud staff in Atlanta. I might have my. I'd have to double check the. The the order of things. Whatever it is. All right. On that note, thank you, Bontemps. Thank you, McMahon. We will talk to you again. Uh, We will have a podcast after uh, after game one that we'll post on Friday morning. And um, these gents will be back with me for they'll come out on Sunday before game two. Thank you to Andrea and Jackson, our producers. 
Thanks for listening to Collective. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.